Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. I have a question. What's church's role in society? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus' last instruction before his ascension to heaven. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am I am with you always to the end of the age. What does that mean? And I strongly believe that our failure to understand that and live that out is exactly why we're having the cultural crisis that we are having now. So this episode, I'm talking to my Christian folks. All right, I'm Christina Caramo. Now it's time for some solid food. where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So in the mainstream culture, it seems that the church is increasingly losing its significance. And it's going beyond that to becoming a nuisance in the eyes of the culture. Christians are holding back progress. Now we're at the point where we're becoming a pariah in the culture, incessantly mocked as backwards and ignorant. Last week, I pointed to how Amy Comey Barra was being mocked for this belief that, um, and this belief that uh, that men should be the head of the household, and it's only going to get worse. There's so much talk about her Christian faith and this fear that she'll bring her dreadful Christian faith with her to her decision making. As Christians, we bring our faith with us everywhere we go. Our faith doesn't sit in the corner somewhere. Of course, for the secularists, that's what they want us to do. They can bring their secular views with them in any space. But as Christians, oh, no, you can't do that, say the seculars. Well, folks, that is part of why we have the problem. Yeah. Now, with 65% of Americans professing to be Christians, how is this happening? And just in case you are unaware, that is down 13 points since 2007. The fastest growing religious group in America are actually what we call the nuns. These are people who are not religiously affiliated. And they make up 20, currently they make up 26% of the U.S. population. And the reason why we see this happening is because the churches simply aren't doing their job. Unfortunately, too many churches are more concerned with making the culture like us and trying to comfort the culture instead of challenging the culture. The job of the church is not to comfort the culture. I remember once I was listening to Joel Olstein speak, and he was asked about why he didn't speak more about sin and certain important topics of morality. And he said, well, people are hurting, and I just want to, and he said, people are hurting, and we want to let them know that God is there for them. I am not saying that there isn't a place for that, because there is a place for that. But that isn't your primary goal. Your primary goal is discipleship. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it is to make disciples of all nations. And if we go down, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So obedience is the first step to comforting the culture. You don't want to comfort people in their rebellion. 
Because that way you ensure their damnation. That is precisely the problem. I look at so many prominent pastors, none of them challenge sin. Not one. I can't think of a single prominent pastor that is embraced by the mainstream culture who does not challenge sin. I mean, who who does challenge sin, excuse me. Every single prominent pastor, I'm not going to call some of their names. And and some of them, I just don't think they do it as they should, but I'm not going to call them heretics. Because I'm not. I'm not going to, sometimes I just feel like they're not doing it enough. But most of them, they don't challenge the culture. You think somebody like a T.D. Jakes. When was the last time we heard him address sin? Most of the pastors focus on how to get your breakthrough in God. They focus on how to get your victory in God. That is the most self-centered, self-absorbed ideology and backwards theology. It is gross. It is gross. Everybody is focused on what they can get from God instead of what can you do for God. It isn't that God needs us. But according to his divine purpose, according to his divine plan, he has incorporated humanity into his plan to reach other humans. So instead of sitting there asking for your breakthrough, you need to be a breakout for somebody else. You need to break out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in the culture. That's what we need. And the fact that most churches are failing to do that, they give this gummy bear Christianity, this weak theology. It's made in the image of man, so therefore it necessarily becomes heresy. That's what we see in the culture. It's all about me. See, our job is to challenge the culture to convict people. See what I mean? You challenge the culture to convict people. Then, and and then I don't convict people. The Holy Spirit convicts them. I don't convict nobody. The Holy Spirit taps on their heart. And they cede to that tapping. Then, after the conviction, after they feel convicted and realize that they are a sinner in need of a grace, that's when we comfort them, saying, Jesus loves you. He used to die for you. But they got to be convicted first. How can I know I need medicine if I don't even know I'm sick? Most folks don't realize they're sick. They don't recognize they're wicked sinners needing needing of salvation. So if I don't even realize I need salvation, then why am I going to seek it? The failure for churches to do this have horrible, grave spiritual consequences in addition to social consequences. When Jesus tells his disciples, again, when we talk about go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what does that mean? How do we live that out? That starts with building relationships with people. And before we even prepare to build relationships to pe- with people, our first commitment must be to God. So that we're giving people accurate information and that we're telling them the truth. And that, to me, is a big concern because I feel as though people are not pressing on accurate information. You know, we have this concept in America. We act as though following Jesus is some kind of mental exercise. As though if I mentally assent or consent to the concept that Jesus is Lord, 
that somehow that is sufficient. No, it's not. No, you can say, oh yeah, I know Jesus is Lord. But have you given your heart to him? Have you submitted yourself to him? Our culture is suffering from what Paul talks about. And I, you know, all of us have our go-to verses. And I think a lot for me, the ones I point at the most are because that's the issues I see so relevant in the culture that we need to address. And Paul speaks of this perfectly in Romans 6.1. And this is precisely what's going on wrong with America. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that the, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so as Christians, we don't just say mentally, I'm a Christian. No, we give our heart, we give our life to Jesus. We say, I want to pattern myself after his holy word. I want to do what Jesus did as much as I humanly possibly can. Of course, we can't die for people's sins. Minus being God and dying for people's sins, performing all the miracles he did. All of the, the truth and the righteousness and the holiness, the man Jesus did, we can do that. But it requires you giving your heart to him and you allowing the Holy Spirit to regenerate you. You answering the call. That's what it requires. But in our culture, people don't want to listen to God. People don't want to do what God says. They want to do what they want to do. They want to be God. And then the whatever relationship what they have with God is really, really transactional. And they abuse his grace. And that is very obvious as we'll go further into this episode. In America, it has been lost. Again, that being a Christian is simply a mental exercise designed for your own personal victory, your wealth, your health, and your happiness. You know, I still think of the book, <laughs> I think of by Joel Olstein called Live Your Best Life Now. Your best life is yet to come. This is not your best life. But that's the problem. Everybody, I want to have wealth. I want to have health and happiness. Folks, those things are not wrong. All of us want that. Who wants to be sick? Nobody. Who wants to be poor? Nobody. Who wants to be sad? Nobody. So that is not wrong. Those things aren't wrong. Those things aren't harmful. But when you seek God for that purpose, now you're making an idol of yourself. You simply seek God as a genie to give you what you want. It is nothing wrong with petitioning God for things. There's nothing wrong with petitioning God for healing. There's nothing wrong with petitioning God for financial uh, prosperity. There's nothing wrong with petitioning God to comfort your heart, to find joy. There's nothing wrong for petitioning God with those things. But that is not the reason we seek God. We do not come to him expecting this we come to him to serve him and then in the process of us serving him of us being disciples of jesus christ then we can say you know god 
I'm looking for a job. I'm praying for your mercy and your sovereign will to help me in the process. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong if you've got a cancer diagnosis, petitioning God to heal you. Nothing wrong with that. Again, let's be clear. I'm not one of these people that acts though it's wrong to petition for God. Not petition for God, to petition God. But that is not why we seek him. We don't seek him for victory in the material world. We seek him to be saved from our sins and to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to be there for our fellow man. That is why we seek him. To walk in holiness and righteousness, that is why we seek him. And in America, that has totally been lost. Totally been lost. It's all about what God can give me. And all I have to do is have faith. And that's all I have to worry about. No discussion in submission to God. No discussion of obedience. And, and the sad part about it is submission and obedience is tied to your direct blessing. It's not be submissive to God because that's what you're supposed to do. It's not be obedient to God because that's what you're supposed to do. It's transactional. It's be obedient to God, be submissive to God so you can get your breakthrough. It's always taught in that capacity. It's taught that I listen to God so I can get something from God. It's like a transaction. That is disrespectful. Jesus didn't die for you to get a new boat. I don't have faith in God so I can get things. My faith is in God because I love him and he loves me. And he's king of the universe. He is sovereign. He is God. And this concept, folks, has permeated the culture and permeated the church. And as I'm going to go through this peer research, Pew research, this study on Christianity in America, it is really troubling. Now, you could say, okay, well, they obviously didn't sample everybody in America. But if you look at their findings, and if you look at the culture, it's very obvious that this is captured so accurately. So let's jump into this very sobering, shall I say, study. So I find it really interesting with this first chart, the income distribution around, among Christians. 36% of Christians earn less than 30,000. 21% earn between 30,000 and 49,999. 27% earn between 50,000 and 99,999. And 17% earn over $100,000. Now I find it very interesting that the largest percentage is in the under 30,000 group and the uh, smallest percentage is in the 100,000 group. Now, I remember when I was in theology school, one of my professors, and I may have shared this story before, I probably have, but it's pertinent to this point, that him and his wife were at the beach, they live in Southern California, and they saw the yacht for the richest woman in England. So people named their yachts, and he said him and his wife, when they see like a really beautiful yacht, they'll look up the name of it to see who owns it. And it was for the richest woman in England. And he said his next thought was, well, she's probably on her way to hell. <laughs> and we were like, what? And his point is, is that oftentimes people who have a lot of financial means, they don't, they, they tend to be less concerned with God. 
You know, having a relationship with God is like the last thing they're worried about. That's because human beings tend to live in the here and now. You know, when you think of Ecclesiastes, you know, Solomon talks about all the wealth and the money and the women and all this stuff he had. But he's like, at the end of the day, it's just someone to the wind. You, you can't take any of this stuff with you. But as humans, because we are um, beings who are living in this physical, temporal moment, we uh, live and um, we live in time. So we have a, a hard time conceiving beyond this life right now. And what happens is, is that oftentimes when people earn a lot of money, they began to sometimes feel like God themselves because a lot of the problems that you know is like a higher percentage of poorer people or even like poorer countries, they tend to be way more religious. And oftentimes because they have no hope and their only hope is God, they cling and depend on God a lot more because they feel no hope. Oftentimes when things are going great, God is the last thing we're thinking about. So this gets into the argument for why God allowed evil, because sometimes when people are very blessed, those are the people who forget about God the most. So that I find it to be very interesting. And I think that sheds some light on what's happening in America, because it's interesting. The media, median household income in America is like $53,000 a year. Well, that would only make up, that's roughly um, like 44% of the Christian population, where most Christians earn a lot less. So I, I found that to be very interesting. But moving on down, another point I found to be really interesting was the education distribution chart. Now, of the Christian population, 43% of Christians only have a high school diploma or less. Think about that. 43%. 32% some college, 16%. 16% of the Christian population has college education. That should tell you a lot about our colleges and universities. They go in a campaign to pull you away from God and to make you hate your country too. But I'm not going to get off into that. But they go on a rabid campaign to make you question the gospel. Remember, I think I shared you guys like 70% of young people when they go to college, they walk away from the faith. And in a lot of regards, higher education hasn't been beneficial. And I know that sounds weird for me to say, Higher education really hasn't been very beneficial in American life, in my estimation. And that's someone who who went to graduate school. And I say that because most people have made money and themselves, they're God. They turn against God and they're in a ton of debt. So I basically got in debt to be taught to hate God in my country. I, so let's go through this. So again, 43% high school or less. 32% some college, 16% they graduated from the bachelor's degree, and 9% have a postgraduate degree. Think about that. 9%. 9%. Now, when we look at academia, when we look at academia, are we surprised at the Richard Dawkins of the world? Are we surprised of the Sam Hammerses of the world? No, we should not be. Because academia is dominated by atheism or witches. That's another subject in itself. Or witches. Either atheists or just people who are straight up paganism. Because no one wants to give themselves to Christ. They feel like logic and themselves and their money is God. 
So when we see these problems, when we see these issues in society, I find that to be very interesting. But I digress. Moving right along, the marital status, you know, just to backtrack really quickly. This is why apologetics is so important. Because more and more parents are sending their kids off to college because we've been told that's the way to success. I'm telling you, number one, you really just need post-secondary training. It can be trade school. That can work too. It just needs to be some kind of post-secondary training. Okay? Um, and so many parents send their kids to college because they're like, this is how we have a good life and a good career. Here is my advice. You need to teach your kids apologetics. If you, if your kid isn't grounded in scripture before going to college, they're more likely than not going to walk away from their faith or going to walk away from Christ. You know, there's totally an argument that can be made whether Christ, whether they're really with God to begin with. I'm not going to get into that. But the, the thing about it is that's what's happening because they're not being taught. They're not being taught properly. You can't send your child to church just on Sunday and think they're going to be spiritually grounded. No, no. I find it's also to be interesting that 52% of Christians are married. 6% are living with the partner. 14% are divorced. 8% are widowed and 21% never married. Now, minus the living with the partner, which we know is, is sinful. The other categories of divorce, separated, widowed, uh, never married. Those are not sinful um, categories to be in. But I find it interesting that 52% of Christians are married. Marriage is critical for the stability of society. It is. Um, there's so many social benefits to marriage. Number one, just having someone to have your back. And number two, most people have children. So when you need parents to be stable and able and, and adequate to raise kids, it's important that they're married. And if most people aren't getting, a lot of chunks of people aren't getting married, well, that's a problem. Because for 52% of Christians to be married, I find it to be very troubling. 21% have never been married. And there's lots of factors that go into, and I don't want to castigate people that have never been married. Some people come to Christ later in life. Some people just, for, it's all types of reasons. It's, it, you don't want to speculate. Don't want to speculate. There are a population of people who are just too selfish. But there's there's all types of reasons why people are never married. I, I don't want to get off into that. But I think that's upsetting that only 52% of Christians are married. Are 52% of people not having sex outside of marriage? There we go, folks. There we go. Also, parent of children under the age of 18. This is really interesting. Of all the Christians, only 30% are parents of kids under the age of 18. Only 30%. Most have children, either don't have children, or kids are adults. That is a problem. That is a massive problem. I mean, I'm not saying it needs to be 50-50, but 70-30, that's pretty terrible. You know, so that means a large swab of children are not being raised to follow Jesus Christ. Folks, how's that going to shape society? How many of these mass shooters do you think were raised following Jesus Christ? How many of these, I'm nine years old and I think I'm the other gender, think they were raised following Jesus Christ? These kids who get addicted to drugs, these kids who embrace paganism, 
Of course, there's kids who are raised in the Lord and rebel. We know that. There are large swaths of kids. That simply is not the case. Folks, this is troubling. This is troubling to think that so many kids are not being raised to follow the Lord. And, and these are the future leaders of our society. Do you really want our society to be ran by people who don't follow the Lord? You think what we're dealing with now is bad. Folks, it's only going to get worse. Now, um, this is really interesting. 76% of Christians believe in God with absolute certainty. 76%. 18% said they're fairly certain. 3% said they believe in God. They believe in God. They're not too certain at all. Um, 1% they believe in God but don't know. 1% do not believe in God. 1% do not know if they believe in God. So I'm confused at the ones who say that they are Christian but they don't believe in God. So then why are you a Christian? And that's the problem we have in our society. We have a lot of people who are culturally Christian. They don't follow Jesus Christ. They just simply go through the mental exercises of, of going to church or what have you, but they've never given their heart to the Lord. But only 76% are absolutely certain. That, that is troubling. And yes, the majority, but that's only 76%. That's terrible. And then we wonder why we see what we see in our culture. So these, that's why I'm going through these numbers because they glean, give us an insight into the problem. People are not well-versed in their faith. Folks, if we go through this list, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Here we go. The next question, importance of religion in one's life among Christians. 68% says very important, folks. Following Jesus needs to be the number one thing in your life. It should be immensely important. But in our society, going back to Romans 6, people feel like, I don't really have to follow Jesus. For what? Like, And, I, and I've shared this story before with you guys. Of I was out with a friend and another a friend of hers came along. And just for no reason, this woman began to tell us this really sordid sexual story about herself. And after she told this story about herself, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, why is she telling us this? Then she starts, like, 10 minutes after the story, start talking about her prayer closet. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and, and my face, I know my face couldn't conceal what I was thinking. And I was just like, what? And I, I didn't say what. I was just, so you just got telling us, telling us this story that's sordid and totally ridiculous. But you got a prayer closet? And her response was, well, you know, God know I'm crazy. That's the problem. That's why I read Romans 6. People act like God's grace is a license to do anything. I can do anything. Jesus died for all my sins, past, present, and future, so I can just do anything I want. That is not why Jesus died. He did not die for you to be comfortable in sin. That was not what it was about. Please, somebody help me out here. 25% say somewhat important. 5% say not too important. 2% not important at all. 1% don't know. So we can see how that's impacting things. Let's keep going. 47% of Christians go to church once a month. Once a month, that's it. That needs to be a commitment. It needs to be a part of your life. 36% once or twice a month. 
a few times a year. 70% seldom or never. 1% I don't know. That's not good, folks. Again, that's reflected in our culture. We don't make we don't make God a priority in our life. And that's reflected in our culture. The way we treat each other, the way we get on social media and bicker. You know, a lot of people like to do this thing on social media where they like to call out other people. I do not do that. I'm not going to sit here and waste my time and try to call out people on the internet. The only time I will, in the context of my podcast, I will um, rebuke ministers who I feel like are not serving their purpose. And I will call out politicians. I will call out public figures. You know, I don't care. A public figure, someone puts themselves out there as a public figure, whether it's a politician, a minister, entertainer, I will call them out by name. But everyday people, no, I'm not. That's not Christ-like. You know, um, at least, uh, and, and, and two, it's reflected in our poor morals as a society, um, the comfort, how comfortable we are with rebellion. Um, it's reflected in our lack of reverence for God and his command to fellowship. Now, this is another one. 68% of Christians say they pray daily. 17% per week, 5% monthly, 9% seldom, or never, 1% don't know. Now, prayer is to be an everyday portion of your life. That is your time to commune with God. Now, I understand your time is different. Like me personally, my I pray the first thing. First thing I do before I get out of my bed, before I do anything, my alarm goes off, I turn my alarm, and then I pray. Because I need to hear from God. I need to connect with God all day. And it helps you remain in like a uh uh like have a prayerful attitude throughout the day, and it helps you to be close to God as you go through the day. Because if I miss praying or reading my Bible or something like that, one of the two, I can totally feel a difference in my life. And I'm not talking about like, I don't feel as comfortable or whatever, but it's just, I'm not as focused on God as I should be. Human beings are painfully wicked. And, and our sinful nature has not left us. You know, we read in scripture where it's like the, the spirit and the flesh are fighting each other. And if you don't exercise, if you don't feed your spirit, it's going to get weak and the flesh is going to take over. And what I'm curious, I would love to know more when people pray, what do they pray to God about? Is it to seek his will or to seek their own? That is the million dollar question. But let's keep going. Now, this one is really aggravating. Frequent Frequency of participation in prayer, scripture, or religious education among Christians. 32%. 32% that they study their Bible once a week. Folks. Folks. 32%. Only 32% 32, 32 of Christians study their Bibles once a week. Are we surprised at the condition of the church now where everybody just looking for themselves? People are not interested in studying the Bible. They're not interested. 32% once a week. 11% once or twice, twice a month. 9% several times a year. 
47% say seldom if never. Check this out, folks. So 47% of Christians, 47%, 47, seldom or never studied the Bible. Look at our culture. Are we surprised when we see movies like Cuties being made? When we see a habitually lying news media who's hostile to the culture? When we see Christians weak and seeking to get the world to like us? Of course. We shouldn't be surprised. Most people don't study the Bible. They don't know what it says. They just follow the culture. Folks, it gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. Um, moving right along. There's so much um, to be talked about. This one's interesting. The frequency of feeling spiritual peace and well-being. Um, 65% of Christians say once a week. You should always have peace in the Lord. That doesn't mean you don't have depression, you get sad, you get rattled, you have anxiety. But just once a week? Once or twice a month, 14%. Several times a year, 9%. Now, my point is, is that we have to seek God for the purpose of, of attempting to follow him. I don't, I don't want to use the reconcile ourselves to him because we're, we can't reconcile ourselves to him. However, we can seek holiness and we should be focused on God. And to say that you only feel spiritual peace at least once a week, the question on itself, it should be several, how many, several times a week. I don't know. I don't know. So moving right along, this is really crazy. So sources of guidance of right and wrong among Christians. Only 43% of Christians say scripture, Christian theology is their source of right and wrong. 43%, 43%, so only 43% of professing Christians feel like, feel that um, the Bible is their go-to for right or wrong. No wonder we have people living in rebellion against God. No wonder we see ourselves in the 2 Timothy 3 situation. Of course. They don't want to follow God. They don't want sound doctrine. 8% say philosophy and reason. 41% says common sense. Well, what's common sense constantly shifts based on what's going on in the culture. Right now, we live in a culture that wants to tell you that a boy can be a girl. That's common sense in the culture. 6% says science and 2% say they don't know. That fact that religion and common sense are competing with each other for the top spot shows you that we're in the Romans 1 situation and the 2 Timothy 3. People are so full of themselves. What, what, is, what, is, what does Romans 1 say? What does Romans 1 and 20 say? It says, 22, excuse me, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, of course, Paul is talking about the Roman, you know, the, the pagan pantheon. But humans, are, that's what we're doing now. We're rejecting 
God's call, rejecting God's guidance of right and wrong. We learn in, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so they don't want to turn to God. They don't want to root what's right or wrong with God because we want to do what we want to do. And then we'll just say, oh, grace, grace, grace to clean up the rest. And we can see, again, when you look at the world around you, that's why I'm going through these numbers. It makes sense. That's why we see. Because this is not number one. God is the number one. Studying the Bible is the number one. What's number one is myself. And that's why we have 41% of people saying their God is for right or wrong is common sense. But let's keep going, folks. It gets worse. And you're probably thinking, how can it? Well, do I ever disappoint? No, I don't. Belief in absolute standards for right and wrong among Christians. 38%. 38% say the clear standards for right and wrong are the Bible. Who believe that, excuse me, believe that there are absolute standards for right or wrong. Only 38% said there's absolute standards. 59% say it depends on the situation. So for you, there is an absolute standard of right and wrong. The word of God is clear. The word of God is clear. But again, we, we, that's the culture. It's like it just really depends. Frequency of reading scripture, only 45% of Christians read scripture once a week. 12% once or twice a month, nine times, nine, several times a year, and 33% seldom, if not never. People don't know their Bible. And then on top of it, the ones who read it at least once per week, are you trying to, are you studying the entire Bible or are you just reading your favorite passages? That's what a lot of people do. They just read their favorite passages. Do you study the whole Bible or do you just read your favorite passages? Ooh, that's what's going on. Oh my God. Moving on. Interpreting scripture among Christians. 39% say word of God should be taken literally. So only 39% think the Bible should be taken literally. 39%. 33% it shouldn't be taken literally. 3% the word of God. They don't know if it's the word of God. And 18% say it's not the word of God. So 18% of people who profess to be Christian say the Bible isn't the word of God. So then we wonder why we got clergy talking about he marrying a, a male clergy saying he married another man. Yeah, we got 18% of people who think the Bible is one big toss up. So why are you a Christian? If you don't believe the Bible is real, why do you, why do you profess to be a Christian? A lot of people are simply called Christian in name only. It's just comfortable. They see God as a fireproof blanket. That's it. They don't really believe. And then for 33% to say it's not to be taken literally, again, now we see why we have so much debate about what's right and wrong in the culture. You would think with 65% of people being Christian, our country should be a lot better off. No, when people don't respect scripture, when people think it's up for, a up for debate. And there, I was talking to a friend earlier today, and she said there's some issues that are closed-handed, and there's some issues that are open-handed. And that's very true. There's some issues where we can, when we talk about um, predestination or just God's foreknowledge like determinism. We talk about those types of things. Those are things that are up for discussion. When we talk about the Bible, the inerrant, infallible word of God, that's not up for debate. We think of like, and Paul talks about in, um, in, in 2 Timothy 3, um, 
that scripture is, is right and proof for correction. Let me let me get to right here. Um, sorry, God. It says three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God. So since all scripture is breathed out by God, it is absolutely literal. It is absolutely literal. Uh, moving on, belief in heaven among Christians. That's 85%. It's 8%, 8% don't believe in heaven. So what do you think? I don't know. That's that's interesting. 85% believe in heaven. 6% say they don't know. Okay, that's somewhat encouraging. I don't understand why it's not like 98%, but okay. No surprise here. The whole hell part, that dips down to 70%. Only 70% believe in hell. Well, then why did Jesus come and die? If hell wasn't real, and then what's the point? So many questions. 70%. But this, a question I wish they would have asked is, do they believe that you... And there, how how do you become saved? That would have been the the real the would have been a real question. Okay, um, no surprise that um. Let me keep going about political ideology. That's I don't need to go there. Um, more more Christians are conservative than liberal. That goes without saying. I'm gonna skip over some of these political points because here we go abortion. And here we go. 45% of Christians believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 45%. Fortunately, 51% say no. So at least most Christians, 51%, that's a slim margin. 4% say they don't know. But the fact that 45% of Christians say that abortion is permissible. Folks, abortion is one of the most wicked practices in our nation's history. If not, it, abortion is the most wicked practice. What, what is more evil than abortion? We're talking about the murder of an innocent little person who's done nothing wrong. And we just kill him because we don't want to be bothered. And you have people who are professing Christians. See, nothing wrong with it. And, and I love, I like to, like I always say, you know, there's always people who say stuff like, oh, how can America have been a Christian nation? These people were claiming to be Christian and they did all this stuff. The same way you got people who profess to be Christian who support abortion. What's the difference? You simply devalue human life when it benefits you. I wonder if they're really Christian. Well, it's my pay grade to say, but I strongly question it. Here we go. 54% of Christians say that homosexuality should be accepted. 54%. 38% said it should be discouraged. Only 38% of Christians say homosexuality should be discouraged. Folks, this is a tool of Satan. And let me be clear. Let me be very clear. Because people love to twist your words. You little agents of Satan, do not twist my words. The issue of homosexuality isn't because it's a problem I have. Not a problem I have. It's because of my concern for the well-being of others. People's souls are on the line. This is not, you know, a lot of people like to go, oh, well, in Leviticus. <laughs> Actually, there's more scriptures about homosexuality in the New Testament than the Old. 
And I'm not talking about referencing to male prostitutes, like male cult prostitutes or male temple prostitutes. I'm talking about actually condemning the act. Real quick, Romans 1. Uh, let's see. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Romans 1.26, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. That's Romans 1.26. Let's keep it going. First <clears throat> uh, Corinthians 6. Or do you nine? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually nor immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So no matter what you're doing, God is just and faithful to forgive you as long as you repent. That's what Paul said. And so were some of y'all. Some of y'all were homosexual, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So the Bible is clear in multiple places that you are not. So you, when you have 54% of Christians saying this should be accepted and the Bible saying if you engage in this behavior, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will go to hell. This is a problem. This isn't about aesthetics. This isn't about because I'm repulsed by the thought of two men kissing each other. That's not the point. The point is these people are being misled. There are Christians, Christians, Christians working on behalf of Satan. That's what most people, I believe the only 25 to 30% of Americans are truly Christian. I do not believe 65% of people are Christian because no Christian would say that. The Bible is clear. I'm not done. I am not done. I'm not done. Galatians says the same thing. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's another passage talking about sexual sin. Another one, Ephesians. Ephesians says it again. Uh, Where is it at? Okay, here we go. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as in the proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no cruel joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Folks, again, Talking about sexual sin. The Bible is very clear. Very clear. Very clear. Very clear. That you are not to engage in any type of sexual sin. And it's specifically named homosexuality in some parts as well. So how is it that 54% of Christians are saying that this is okay? When the Bible is clear that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. This is, the this, what could be more important than people's eternal souls? There's nothing, nothing on planet earth is more important than people's souls. Nothing. This is why I get so upset. 
This is why I get so upset. It isn't because I'm so holy. It isn't because I'm so righteous. It isn't because I find homosexuality and homosexuals just so homosexuals are so... No! And I'm not saying this in passing. Some people I love and care about all my heart are homosexual. It is about people's souls. Souls. And don't get me started on people thinking fornicating. That number is even worse. I bet you if you poll most people who claim to be Christian, 80% would say fornication is okay. Bible is clear. No. You can't do that. Let me calm down. I, I people's souls are on the line. That's why I do what I do. Yeah, I complain about culture and politics. That's not what's most important. Whether Trump wins or not, that's not what's most important. Yeah, it's October right before the election, so of course it's on everybody's mind. Of course it's going to be the topic of conversation. But at the end of the day, whether he lose or win, what's most important is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what's important. Not who won the election. It's important. It's never more important than that. Views about same-sex marriage. 44% strongly favor it. 48% strongly opposed. 8% don't know. Okay? So what's interesting, there's people who think there's nothing wrong with homosexuality, but they feel as though... Uh, Homosexual marriage should be discouraged because marriage should be reserved for the male-female relationship because of childbearing and so on and so forth. It's all wrong. All wrong. Now, what is somewhat in encouraging, mildly, ever so mildly encouraging, <laughs> um, only 21% believe in evolution, that we involve in a natural process, 21%. And I say that's mildly encouraging in light of all the other statistics. Again, in light of the others. 29% believe we evolved due to God's design. Uh, the problem with evolution is there's serious challenges to the doctrine of sin and the fall of man. Serious challenges. If you're going to say that we evolve, at what point do we become human? At what point does sin really enter? So you're saying pre before man became in the common humanoid form or became homo sapien, he was perfect. I mean, so much issue. So much issue. So we're going to leave that there. 4% evolved and don't know. 42% said we always existed in our present form. Again, that is mildly encouraging that most professing Christians reject evolution. Mildly, 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 mildly encouraging. But folks... I want to say this, as a Christian, there's nothing more important than our duty to God, to our fellow man. That's what Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your fellow man as you love yourself. Those are our two duties. That's it. Now, how we live that out is another story. How we live out Matthew 28, 28 19 through 20, that's another story. How we live those things out. You see what I mean? How we live those out are by standing up. If you are a pastor and you're watching this, you need to be bolder. If you are a lay person and watching this, you need to write your pastor. Because the churches have to get involved in the culture. 
Stop with the personal breakthrough. We, I got it. It's 2020, my breakthrough coming, whatever. But I want to know what's happening in my country. I want to know why whole swabs of people think they saved it on their way to hell. That's what we need to do. Your victory isn't in getting more money. Your victory is in being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Your victory is feeling at peace with God. That is your victory. Your victory is loving your fellow neighbors so much that you can't be quiet about Christ because you don't want them to go to hell. That's what it's about. And, and too many people take this to the side. And too many pastors aren't speaking up. Folks, your pastor isn't calling this culture out. You need to write, write them a letter. You know, I think about how um, I was talking to someone this weekend and he was telling me, he said, only like 10% of pastors called out slavery. But they were real passionate. He said, if we would have had the pastors then that we have now, he said, slavery would still be in America. Or I think of, um, I still think about this so much. And I sh I've shared this before on the show. The Frederick Engels, uh, who co-wrote the Communist Manifesto with Karl Marx, who was his right-hand man, said, you know who he hated the most? Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. He hated him more than anybody. Because he saw Christianity is getting in the way of communism. But too many Christians are not concerned with the business of God. Too many pastors are not concerned with the business of God. They just want to be motivational speakers and cultural leaders. No, no, no. So it is time for the church to get involved in the public square. Stop hiding in your house. Find a way to get involved. Whether you're doing street evangelism, serving somewhere, do something. And do it with truth and boldness. Because if you're not going to be truthful, if you're not going to be bold, then sit down and let somebody else do it. If you're going to be scary, then just go to bed. I don't know why I said go to bed, but just go on to sleep. Because you're not doing us any favors. We've got to be bold. We've got to be ready. We've got to be on target. I'm only saying this because I care. I'm only saying this I'm told I'm so tired of thinking of all these poor souls that are going to go burn in hell. And two, I don't want my country to fall apart. But that is not my primary concern. Remember, folks, you got to stand up. You got to stand firm. Because all of us will stand before God. Will you have done your job to the best of your ability? Do it for your fellow man. Do it for God. All right. Thank you for tuning in to It's Solid Food. I'm on all major podcast platforms. You can check out my website, www.ChristinaCaramo.com. You can check out my Facebook and YouTube, YouTube page at The Christina Caramo Project. You can also follow me on Instagram at Caramo the Great. That's Caramo the G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles.